Blog Talk Radio. You in there? So let's do it. Let's get some of this nice going. One mic. I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page, only if I had one gun, one girl and one crib, one God to show me how to do things as sun did, pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip, writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gonna body, this hood politics, acknowledge leave bodies chopped up in garbage, seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us, police watch us, roll up and try knocking us, one knee out. Could it be my time is up with my love? I got up. The cops shot again. Bust out glass first. A fiend drops a Heineken. Ricochet between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out. I shoot back. Fuck getting hit. This is my hood. I'm a wreck. Give a step of it to everybody. Come on. Little niggas is grown. Look rats. Don't abortion your wound. We need more warriors soon. Sit from the stars, sun and the moon. And it's like a police chase. Street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience. Leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die, we're not. Out. This is what now is about, nigga. The time is Yo, now. All I need is one mic. All I need is one mic. One mic. Yes, all powers to oppress people. African power to an African people and black power to black people. It's your brother and host chairman Yanga and Kruma. People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination on Independence Black Talk Radio. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, as I as I always started off, this is, this is, um, sorry, this is your program, brothers and sisters. This is your program, an opportunity to, for you to give some input, critiques, criticisms, to discuss what is on the topics that we're talking about, man, and to see how you really feel about it. I'm one who I, I am a strong advocate and proponent of black or African communalism. I know that it's going to take all of us, the participation of all of us, to come up with a solution and to formulate a solution to the problems that we're facing as a people. Man, it's good to be here and to address the crowd, address the, the, the listeners, the brothers and sisters who call in, check in with the show, find out what's going on with us. Tonight's topic, though, I want to discuss race and class, race and class, and why I feel that this is important to discuss because as revolutionaries, if we don't understand where we're going and how we got in the position that we're in, then everything else is just futile. Everything else is just really uh, sensationalism and rhetoric. You know, if we don't discuss the race and class issue. If we don't know the fact that how America was set up, what it was founded on, you know, what America was the historic concept and construct of America, the place that they had for African people and people in the place that they have for people of African descent. If we don't understand that, 
from the historical view, from the factual view, then our struggle is for not. We will continue to be a bunch of reactionaries, a protest movement, a movement of um, to make the people feel good. I like to call it a movement of vetting and venting. You know, a therapeutic movement. That's what I'm looking for. Would it be a movement, a therapeutic movement? We're angry, and so we all get together collectively, and we, you know, we shout and we yell and we uh, hold our picket signs and we protest and we shut down highways and we do all of that. But are we coming with any real solutions? And it's hard to come with these solutions if we don't understand what's about race and class. I'm coming out of a book called Social and Political Thought, Selected writings by Dr. Mohammed Ahmad, formerly known as Maxwell Stanford, and those people that are students of revolution and students of history know Max Stanford from being a founder of the RAM movement, revolutionary action movement, for being very close with our dear brother El Haj Malik Shabazz, more commonly known as Malcolm X. And a uh, professor, he was a professor, he was my mentor, very proud to have have, have had him as a mentor was a professor at Cleveland State University um, and the, over, the, over the Black Studies Department and got transferred to Temple University in Philadelphia and was over the Black Studies Department there. And um, on race and class, he writes, our orientation is based on race and class analysis outlook. What we, what we do mean by race and class, what do we mean by race and class analysis? It means we see that. African people in the United States are oppressed in two forms of oppression at the same time. That African people in the United States are oppressed in two forms of oppression at the same time. We are oppressed and discriminated against because we are African, but also the great majority, 90% of our people, are from working class. That is, They work for wages when they can find a job. In a capitalist society where the means of production are controlled by the capitalist class, oppression occurs in the form of class oppression. The capitalist class, in order to make profits, does not pay the working class its true amount of worth and wages equal to its labor power. The selling of Africans in the slave trade and the free labor derived from them provided Europe, particularly England and America, with the necessary surplus capital that accelerated their economics to make a rapid transition from feudalism and slavocracy to a capitalist system. What is the professor saying? What is Dr. Stanford saying, Dr. Uh, Muhammad saying? He's saying that not only were you discriminated against, not only were you specifically targeted, Intentionally targeted based on your Afro, your Africanness, but once to put you in another to further categorize you, to further keep you in a place, you were or you're also part of the proletariat, the working class. We would think that the revolutionary, and this is where we become diluted. This is where we become disillusioned. This is where you have the white left movement come in and able to manipulate to take the energy of the African revolutionary energy, that movement that fight for independence for an African people, and divert that energy, to take that energy, and to put it towards their struggles because they'll come and tell you that it's a class struggle. The communists will tell you that. 
the socialists will tell you, oh, it's class struggle, the working class against the capitalists. No, no. How did it become a class system in the first place? Because before there was a class system, there was a slaveocracy. It was a feudal system. America is a criminal settler uh, uh, colony. Criminal settler colonialists founded this place. Let's not be disillusioned. They sent, this was a colony of England. They sent their criminals here to enrich their empire. That's it. We have to be aware and be real enough to speak the truth. It's not about a hatred thing. It's about an actual factual. It's about what is. And until we understand the historical dialectic, until we understand those things that have historically affected us as a people, there is no way that we will be able to come up with a solution. There is no way. So if we're looking at a criminal, uh, uh, a criminal settler colony, what goes into that? The rights of self-determination do not fit in anywhere in their agenda. This is why they gave the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey a hard time. This is why they gave Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, the Panthers, the Third Development Panthers, any progressive, Adam Clayton Powell, you name it, any progressive black man or woman, any progressive black organization that fought for the liberation, the empowerment, and advancement of African people became subject to attack because self-determination is not a part of America's uh, forte for, for, for people of minority, for minority people, for people of a different ethnicity. ethnicity. It's not. Historically, you can bear witness. When they came over here as criminal settlers, there were Native Americans here. What was this said? Did they believe in the right to self-determination then? Did they allow the Native Americans to continue on their path of evolution without being encumbered and hindered? No. Self-determination didn't fit in what they were trying to accomplish. Not only do they say that their ways were savage, but their religion, their practices were savage. And you're talking about a people who didn't believe in wasting. You're talking about a people who were one with nature. What could have possibly been savage with being in line and in tune with nature, not wasting, not exploiting love of one another? In fact, they were so filled with an overabundance of love that they loved this, this uh, white man. White man's history will attest and bear witness to the love that the Native American shared for him. Look at their Thanksgiving and their lies about Thanksgiving and some of the um, stories and fables that they tell about Thanksgiving. They say we were shivering in the cold. We were starving. We didn't know we were in a foreign land and these nice Native Americans whom we were taught when I was coming to school, they were called Indians. When the Indians came and they shared with us and they taught us this and they taught us that, which they absolutely did from an overabundance of love, but how did you repay that? You had an agenda. Your agenda was the enrichment of your empire. Your agenda was 
to further and advance your people. And when you find the people saying, wait, now we must advance ourselves. We must hold ourselves accountable. We must love ourselves. We must put ourselves before any other people. We must do the things that ensure our success and our survival. You say that that's hate. That's racism. That's anti-American. This is a melting pot. My America is nothing but a cold word, a name for white Eurocentric supremacy. It's America. You don't believe me? Look at who they call American. The white man is American. Everybody else has a hyphen in their name. I believe it was Sister Sada School who said that. Everyone else has a hyphen. When you say American, it's the white man. He doesn't call himself Anglo-American, Euro-American, Saxon-American. He's American. But you have the original American is a Native American. I come over, you and I come over, they want to call us African-American. That's a Chinese-American. Then you have the Mexican-American. But when you talk about America, the good old USA, you're talking about that white man in apple pie. You're talking about John Wayne, baby. So we have to look at their agenda, and history will bear witness to their agenda and will point out what they attempted to do. So we understand that even before it became a class struggle, it they, they it had to be a race struggle. They had to be able to dehumanize the very ethnicities to further their advance. So it was race. So I tell my wife, leftist comrades and compatriots, that though what you attempt to do is a noble deed, I don't downplay it. Keep fighting. Keep being anti-oppression. Keep being pro-justice. Keep being the things that, you know, further and advance the cause of humanity. I applaud you for that. In fact, that's noble. But don't tell me. Don't you look me in my damn face and tell me that it is, isn't a race issue. So we understand what the criminal colonial settler uh, was about. He was about advancing that cause of the European Empire, the British Empire, and he came and self-determination didn't fit into that, so he denied the self-determination of the Native American. And he started to practice a conformity. And once he stole this land and began, he, be, after he stole the land from the Native American and began to assess the riches of the land, the raw resources and materials that the land provided, he realized that he couldn't harvest and reap the land quick enough. He couldn't extract the material fast enough. He couldn't deplete the ozone. He couldn't strip the soil over mine, run the wildlife out. Every barbaric and demonic and savage thing this devil has been known to do to the Mother Earth, he couldn't do it fast enough. So what does he have to do? We've already practice genocide on a noble people. Let's go usurp the rights of another people and use the same thing, race. Let's use race as the basis of our savagery, of being inhumane, of our barbarity. Let's use race. And so this is what he did again in the enslavement of, a, of another noble and mighty people. He used race. And race Ease and assage his conscience and her conscience, and they brought him back over here, and they made laws, and it was cool in their religion, and even their God has sanctified 
uh, and sanctioned slavery, and they found it in their scriptures, and they preached it from their pulpits. They preached it from their pulpits and shoved it and forced it down our throat until we started to conform and comply and to begin to lose our identity. And that's how we're doing now. We begin to lose our identity. And we bite into the fact that we weren't a nation of people. We're a nation of people. But we buy that definition of nation and begin to call ourselves a minority. We are oppressed nationality. They say, what's your nationality? I'm an oppressed nationality. My common interest and my common ground and the um, thing that I have in common with people of other African descent here is slavery, the mob for the African slave trade. I'm an oppressed nationality. I am not a minority of this nation. But they didn't want us to understand that. They had us to accept the minority role. And get rid of the race role and begin to think that it was a class struggle. You see, they had to get us to begin to think it was a class struggle. But the way that we knew that it really wasn't a class struggle, because if it was a class struggle, the divide between the rich and the poor that we have now, you would find the low income, the proletarian, as uh, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels in their Communist Manifesto like to call it, the proletarian. The working class, when it rose up with the race issue, prevented that great unification of the working class because it's impossible. Why? During slavery, you had white indentured servants. Talk to me. You had white indentured servants. You had white people that were in servitude. So what stopped the black and the white man from getting together and shaking the shackles of oppression off of them, from saying, hey, listen, you're running this, you have all the wealth, you have all the prestige, you have all the things, and we have nothing. Let's stop them from working together, being in the many, being the masses, and overthrowing the few was race. Because he told that white indigenous servants, you may be broke, you may be poor, you may be hungry, you may live in a shack. That is far worse than that black man or that black woman, but thank God, you're white. So they begin to develop this white privilege, conscious mindset, this consciousness of white privilege. I'm white, boy. And that alone kept the unification of the working class. So there again, I tell you, don't tell me it's purely a class struggle. Yes, it is a class struggle. One that race has permitted it because before it even became a capitalist system, it was a feudal slaveocracy. And it became when slavery made this nation so rich. And they had their 4th of July. Their 4th of July was about capitalism. It was about market. Once they saw the wealth in the United States, once they saw the abundance, they got greedy. They do what they do. You know what devils do. You act like you ain't around these devils every day. They became greedy. Mm-hmm. And in their greed, they said, why are we sending our goods, our resources across these waters? We should hold them for ourselves. So it became a revolution. The fight for independence was a bourgeoisie revolution. 
Oh, Yang, what do you mean by bourgeois? See, I'm using revolutionary words on us today. It's time for us to evolve, brothers and sisters. In order to have a real revolution, we must think like revolutionaries. We must understand what the revolution is about. Later for the days of empty rhetoric. Later for the days of empty protesting. Later for the days of feel-good movements. And just sitting calling the white man a devil. And you ask, why is he a devil? What devilment has the white man pulled? And you'll say slavery, which is true, right and exact. But what about slavery? And how do we begin to overturn the material effects of slavery? We'll deal with the psychological effects because that's exactly what we're dealing with. There's shows to deal with that. One of them a great show is the Queen Show. They have psychologists on that show to deal with the post-traumatic slave disorder. But right now, we're going to deal with the historical material effects of slavery. And as revolutionaries, what we're fighting, how we're fighting to throw them in the reverse. So what were the historical material effects of, of slavery? Led to a bourgeoisie revolution and the bourgeoisie revolution or the bourgeoisie fight for independence of this so-called criminal colony named America was this. Once the store owners, once the landowners, once the people who had the slaves and were collecting the resources and began to see these stockpiles of natural material before their very eyes, they begin to question their oppressors. Or they begin to question their imperialists, the empire that had them over. They said, why are we sending, why are we sending our goods and our resources over there so much so that we don't even have a say? We're just colonies, an extension of the empire. And we over here, we should be a free people. So they had an independence movement, and they still cowardly. They were so cowardly, they dressed as Native Americans and dunked the tea. They ain't even want to take responsibility. Let's dress like the Native Americans and dunk the tea. No representation, no taxation without representation. You know, today they celebrate that, but we call that some punk shit. You know what I'm saying? Claim yours. But this was their fight for independence. So they gained that. They fought for that. What is wrong with you and I fighting for our independence? Why don't we see the necessity of being self-sufficient, of practicing self-determination? When will we begin to see the stockpile of natural resources right in front of our face? What natural resources, Brother Yanger? You. You, brother. You, sister. Or that natural resource, your ingenuity, your ability, the sweat of your brow, the strength of your arms and muscles, your speaking ability, your everything that you possess that has been capitalized on, your athleticism, your ability to entertain, if that's one of them. Your ability to create. You are a resource. You are a natural resource that isn't used for the advancement and development of your people. You don't fight for the independence of your people because you have been into the class struggle, leaving off the race issue, and you've been so much into the class struggle that you believe in your heart of hearts. Oh, you'll bless your little heart, you. 
Bless that little African heart that beats and pumps life into your soul that you believe if you try hard enough, if you work hard enough, if you pray to white Jesus long enough, if you punch that time clock on the right time and you yes sir enough times and yeah ma'am enough times that you will cross the class line and you will be able to be accepted as one of them. You would have finally made it. You got your car. You might even get you a white woman or a white man and you move in the neighborhood when enough you Negroes moving the neighborhoods when they get tired of looking at your black face and your little black children running up and down the street, even if they're biracial. Even if they're biracial, we love the babies. The babies ain't got nothing to do with it. Even if they're biracial, they're lost. There's one drop of black blood. They're African, so they're black. They can fool themselves when they get older. I'm mixed. Like, that's a whole other category. We all mixed. You ain't said nothing special. Yours is just a little closer to the surface. You's a nigga. Use a nigga. And when they get tired of seeing all of this in their neighborhoods, then they move out. You're still not accepted. Because you haven't accepted the understanding of a race. You haven't been into what the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey has said, up, you mighty nation, you can accomplish what you will. Race first. This is what he said. Race first. After everything. After your religion, your ideology, your methodology, your philosophies, secondary to race. All of those should be affected by the fact of your Africanness, but it can't be affected the right way if you don't know historically what you were brought here for. If some kind of way you've been disillusioned, if some kind of way you're suffering from some Negro amnesia that we so conveniently suffer from. See, it's easy. To suffer from that. Negro amnesia is easy to suffer from. It's to be black in America, to be African here in America can be overwhelming. It's psychological trauma. Day in and day out, we turn on the Facebook, we turn on the news, we see ourselves being brutalized, beaten, maimed, tortured, slaughtered, mishandled and manhandled. Everything that you can think of happening to us, and it's overwhelming to the psyche. The psyche will shut down, and we wonder why, especially in this day and time, our children are given to prescription medications and all type of hard narcotics and just pure madness and insanity. It's from the insanity that they're constantly bombarded by. So it can be traumatic. And Negro amnesia is one of the symptoms of that. We just simply break the beep out. It's a family show. Start to go there. We just simply break out. And that's the only way we can process day in and day out the terror that we feel being black. So then it becomes no one wants to be black. We don't even want to address the race issue, even though the race issue is addressing us. We run from it. We hide from it. We don't want to address the race issue, even though the race issue is addressing us. We say it's a class thing. But their class is tied to their race. They fight and they work hard and they do all of these things and invest in the American dream because the American dream is an investment in white supremacy and Eurocentric thinking and philosophy and advancement. 
Yes, if I was white, I'd have a, a, a Chevy truck and a flag on the back and a dog and apple pie and love baseball too. It'd be only, it's only natural. It would be only sensible. But like our dear brother Malcolm said, the American dream is the African nightmare. It's a nightmare to the black man. But yet and still, we still haven't come to the realization that we must begin to fight and strategize for our independence. See, but that's too much like work. That's too much like thinking. That's too much like coming together and building a unity. And guess what? Letting ego go. Because in race, there's no room for ego that contradicts. Now, don't get me wrong. Hear me out. Have an ego, a healthy sense of ego, or a proper sense of ego, a proper dose is healthy. I think that that's healthy. We should have that. That's what helps us to stay away from things that are harmful. But ego to the detriment of race building, ego to the detriment of working together for the advancement and liberation of African people is destructive. And that's what you find floating around in us. And in balance, not a proper sense, not a proper uh, dose. It's an overdose of ego. And we're egotistical about what? About nothing. Absolutely nothing. We must understand as as Dr. Muhammad writes in his writing, he says, the objective is to mobilize and organize the masses into a revolutionary mass movement. The cadres, those groups that are dedicated to this revolution, must be dedicated to our people's liberation and must be willing to sacrifice personal rewards, prison if necessary, and, and even life if the interests of the people are for the interests of the people. We must consider future professions secondary to the cause of liberation of our people. As we develop this commitment, we must realize that revolution is based on trial and error. Revolution is a painful process. It means as we practice and work with the masses that we will grow in our thinking. I think it will change. Old romantic bourgeoisie ideas will be fought against, eventually eliminated from our consciousness. Our class outlook will change. The first thing to work on is changing the class outlook. But the next is the idea of education. When we begin to understand revolution, as the doctor is saying, when we begin to embrace the revolution, we begin to understand that all things are secondary to the liberation of African people. All things are secondary to the liberation of African people. Because if the liberation of African people isn't foremost, if it isn't primary in your thinking, then what you're accomplishing only goes to strengthen and further build the system that is oppressing you. I don't know if you brothers and sisters heard that. It only, if the liberation of an African people isn't what you're working for, if your doctorate degree, if your law degree, simple science, if you're paving the road, if your garbage truck working self, gas pumping, gas station attendant, black self, African self, and for the advancement and liberation of African people, it only goes to 
further and empower and strengthen the system that is already oppressing you. Don't let anybody fool you. That's the way that it has to be. That's the way that it is. Don't let anyone tell you any different. But we find that you will find the revolutionaries of today, when we're talking about this last um, race and class, <clears throat> then we must talk about the revolutionary because this is the revolutionary fight. You will find the revolutionaries of today, not all of them. Some of you brothers and sisters out there are some sincere, dedicated revolutionaries, and I applaud you, honestly. From the bottom of my heart, I really applaud you. But you will find most of these revolutionaries today will take, will have separate lives. It's double-fold. They don't want their kids involved in the revolution. I don't want my kids to know what I'm doing. I don't want my parents to know what I'm doing. This is what I do on the side, on the sly, on the DL. On the, if you're not on a mission, but, uh, doing a maneuver, if you're not part of our underground, what, what are you talking about? Because revolution, African revolution, is simply when you say that I'm an African revolutionary, just simply saying that I am one who has pride in African culture and heritage, and I believe that in order for us to exist and survive, in order for us to be a benefit to humanity, to the human race as a whole, that there must be a complete and total constructive change in the system. And I was a revolutionary simply saying this, we want an end to the willful and intentional hindrance and obstruction of the natural evolution of African people here in America, first and, primo, first and foremost, where I'm at, and throughout the diaspora, wherever you find us. We understand that we are specifically being targeted. We understand that economically we are intentionally being exploited. We understand this. We don't go in for the uh, okie doke. The revolutionary understands that this is a this becomes a matter of their being. That this becomes who we are, what fight is for. That class is secondary to the race issue. Once we discuss the race issue, once we have separated ourselves, that's right, separation. I am an advocate of separation. I don't believe that in a society that was built on slavery, that though you may have laws, in the appearance anyway, that say that a certain group of people are free, in appearance anyway, that you haven't created a social, cultural uh, atmosphere, an environment that fosters racism. Those police acting the way that they do is because the social, cultural environment fosters that. The way that African men and women are looked at over here from the time of our being brought here encourages the type of behavior that you see displayed by these so-called police officers or these so-called officers of peace. So I don't believe that there will ever be peace amongst us as long ever, ever, 
I don't ever believe that there would be a peace that they just naturally feel, especially when they feel that their way of life is threatened. I think they will fight tooth and nail to preserve their way of life. So I never think that it would not be peace. But what will make it peaceful is when we as a people rise up and empower ourselves, when we take control of our economy, when we control our money, when they have to recognize us, then peace will come about. Because peace is is an effect from a cause. It's the effect of a cause. We look at the Chinese people. For those brothers and sisters, you know, I talk to my students of revolution. We look at the Chinese people who came over here and helped me build a railroad in the time, study your history, and ran Chinese laundries. They used to have a saying. They used to say, you don't stand a Chinaman's chance in hell. That's what they used to say. You don't stand a Chinaman's chance in hell. And when the Chinese revolution occurred, Mao Zedong, when Chairman Mao uh, waged the Chinese Revolution and China became independent, ran Japan up out of there and the parts that Britain held of China and they won their independence. Now the Chinese have to be reckoned with. They have to be dealt with, even so much so that they say China owns so much of America, it's, it's pitiful. So the African man and woman here in America must begin to see themselves. We must look from the race perspective, begin to see ourselves as a nationality, not just a a minority in America, but a nationality. And once we begin to see ourselves as a nationality, we prayerfully will begin to change our thinking and begin to function as a nation. We will begin to function as a nation. See, America teaches you rugged individualism. Pull yourself up. The maverick way of life. Why, that's easy to teach. That's wonderful to teach. When the whole culture and the whole environment, when this whole country is steeped in a white supremacist, Eurocentric ideology and philosophy, you can teach that rugged individualism. Because the very system guarantees if you have white skin, you're only going to go so far down. Now, if not economically, at least in the treatment. I rode through these lands. We see, I, I see white people begging. I see white people, and y'all gonna call me wrong. I don't give them nothing. I'm sorry. I tell them, and those who travel with me know I said, I tell them, that's such a waste of your whiteness. <laughs> I'm, I'm cold like that. Yo, you're wasting all your weight in this, huh? Yeah, they're begging now. We see them begging. And we had an incident down here in uh, our incident down here in um, Atlanta where a black mother, an elderly woman, was panhandling and was brutally beaten for panhandling. She was a nuisance. She was a nuisance to the store owner. And I guess he became a nuisance to the police officer who felt like that it was okay to brutally and savagely beat him. Now, what's the difference? The difference is when you're talking about a system that is set up in white supremacy, in a Eurocentric system that, uh, pro- that rewards white skin, that protects its own, then white people have a certain privilege. 
This is just a fact. And once we know this and realistically understand it, we should begin to start to do for self. We begin to understand that we're a nation and we can't really rely on or, or count on any outside help to build us up. We don't buy into this, I'm just an American. I call myself an African here in America, but even for our brothers and sisters who call themselves African-American, the fact that you have African in front of it should let you know that there still is a separation and if, or a segregation. Because if you don't take control of your destiny, if you don't practice self-determination, if you don't practice efficiency, it isn't separation, it's segregation. What's the difference, Brother Yanga? Segregation, separation. Segregation is when your oppressor controls the resources and allocates the resources to you at their whim. That's segregation. We saw it in the South. We've seen it in our history, what segregation is. And we still thrived. Don't get it twisted. We still thrived. But separation is when you willingly... Remove yourself from their equation, from their mathematical problems. And you control your resources. You control your destiny. You choose how you want to live without their influence. It is your choice, not because they're running from you, but because you're running from them. This is why I'm an African here in America, not an African-American. I won't allow you to segregate me. But I choose separation because I understand how mighty the nation is that I belong to. I understand how mighty the people I belong to. I understand that your history is set up in racism and barbarity and discrimination, genocide of a Native American people, kidnap, torture, rape of our people. And the list goes on and on and on and on in the crimes of you know, the crime unmentionable and uncountable. We could go forever. So we understand these things. And once we understand these things, then and, and have a true picture of them. Not just a picture, like I said in the beginning of the program, brothers and sisters, not just a picture of sensationalism and rhetoric. Not because we're angry today. Not because we're emotional, we're sad today, but because we understand that our survival depends on it. That it's essential that we begin to strategize, that we begin to think long term, that we begin to start having long, long term objectives and aims, man. See, I'm not one of the most popular ones. I understand why Yang is not that popular. I don't say the things that we like to hear. I, I would love to get up there and have my rifle and scream, Devil Cracker, go to hell, Devil Cracker. And I have and probably will before it's all over with. But at the end of the day, what's my end game? I asked the membership of the People's Black Panther Party for self-determination and the general and, 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 and the African people here then I run across in general to ask, what is the end game? What form think tanks to start to strategize and to come up with plans for this? 
Let us begin to develop these departments that will provide the necessary uh, skill training and that is into self-efficacy because at the end of the day, the answer is revolution. Keep hollering revolution. We don't know what it means or what's your end game for revolution. You want a revolution just to be a black capitalist, to still capitalize off the oppression, off the misfortune, off the scarcity of your people? Buy black. I just don't buy black no more. Why am I just buying black if it's going to be, say, see this price comes in now. We've talked about the issue. We understand we're the African people. We understand this. We understand it's a race issue. Now the class issue comes in because you have African people with the mind of their colonizers thinking like the oppressor, acting like, if not worse, than the oppressor. Neocolonialism. France for no begin to understand devastating effects of neocolonialism when the Algerians ran the French out of Algiers and how they when they set up government how he says that their government was worse than the oppressive the oppressive French government. Wonderful read about neocolonialism. And you'll find our people practicing or having neocolonialist thoughts and behaviors. We set up businesses and then we will exploit the blackness of a people if we're trying to return to Africa, exploit that desire to identify with something that is bigger than us, that connects us to our origin, our place of inception. You will find us capitalizing on that. Now, I'm not saying you don't have black businesses. I have a lot of brothers and sisters that I admire. I look on the Facebook and I see them with their black businesses and I admire. I think one of them um, uh, comes out and send a shout out to her. I, I hope I'm now her name right is um, um, from out of uh, Sister Muhammad's formation. Denise Gilliard, I believe it is. With a wonderful business. Great Afrocentric products. I'm sure she's employing her people to make these things. These things are made by the people, this and that. I'm talking about, you understand these black businesses I'm talking about that have built into the capitalist system that emulates their oppressor, and you don't find them giving back to the movement. We said, well, what she's doing business is she is a member of a revolutionary group who has been incarcerated with a revolutionary group who has a business. Very big difference. But we will have these Negroes put these signs in the windows and buy black, black here. And I haven't given a dime to, to revitalization of the black community, to the advancement of the African people, to do anything for us. You'll find these Negroes. Even they have to be checked. The neo-colonialist mentality is real. This is when we start talking about that class struggle. Who are we going to define that? What does our economic system look like as we move from that? And it has to be in such a way. 
it has to be in such a way that, that it encourages us to participate in entrepreneurship and to want better economically. We just don't want to get rid of all the we just everybody just do away with everything. You don't have any type of thing showing a reward. But we, as a, this is what self-determination is. Self-determination is the right to defy yourself, to defy your economic system. We don't have to be regulated to the economic system. Man, don't, listen, brothers and sisters, it is, a, it is, it is so serious and it is just a vast topic. Just a vast topic. I'm your brother. Let me give the let me give the call sign, man, because I will get carried away with it. I'm your brother, Chairman Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party for Self Determination. This is Independence Black Talk Radio. This is your radio program, our radio program. If you have questions, comments, press one. We'll recognize you. Open up. You can agree, disagree. Still, we'll open up the mic. We love to have the interchange with you. This is what it's about. All of us working together to build, to come together collectively. So we see with 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 our growing, with our knowing, then we can look forward to our growing. When we know that the African here in America is discriminated against two times race and class-wise, then we can begin to do things to address the problem. Let's go back to our class issue. We understand that the African here, like we read earlier what Dr. Muhammad said, that 90% of the African people here are the proletariat. This book was written some years ago, and maybe a little less than that. Proletarian being working according to Karl Marx and Frederick Engels and Communist Manifesto, the, work, the proletarian being the working class. But we go to what Frank Fanon said, and our, our dear beloved uh, Defense Minister Huey P. Newton said, whom he was targeting, the lumpkin, the lumpen proletarian. Those below the working class, the backbone of the revolutionary movement, most backbones of the revolutionary movement. Most cadre members you'll find, most sincere revolutionaries you'll find, will be lumpkin. Lumpkin. From the streets. What they call the real brothers and sisters, because they have been battle tested. They have been battle tested. So you find these people. So when we have our programs, I think that one of the things that I would love to see from more of our programs or programs gearing us towards self-determination and self-development. Not just a feeding program to stab off the hunger of the day, but with that comes a proper and healthy dose of ideology for them to begin not just to come get their food, but to look at participating in their own self-sufficiency. We encourage pantries to be built in these neighborhoods. We encourage them to come in Bring a canned good. If you can't bring a canned good, if you can't contribute like that, then we encourage these people to begin to come with us to help us prepare the meal. 
or prepare the meals. We must get out of a handout mentality. I know the Panthers feed here every Thursday. I'm finna go line up, and that's all you gotta do. You think. That's when Yang they go, man, what kind of Panther are you? You ain't no real Panther. You making us work. Mm-hmm. You think all you gotta do is line up. We encourage you to begin to do for self. To shake the shackles of complacency and apathy off your limbs and your mind. To start to take control of your own destiny, black man and black woman. If we provide the resources, you provide the labor. If you provide the resources, and you won't labor by yourself, it's not an overseer mentality. We will get right next to you, shoulder to shoulder. We're both African. We're both in the same condition. We will get shoulder to shoulder with you, and we'll build together, and we'll grow together, and we'll work together, and you will help us serve the community. You have to, this has to become our way of life. We're starting to turn into the Red Cross. We want to put a cape on our back. And we take that serving the people very literal. I'm a servant of the people. You be careful how many Negroes you tell that to because they will actually, they will test you on that. But we're serving of the people to lead the people to inspire and motivate the people to want self-determination, to want for themselves, to want to do for themselves. We want them beating down the office door. When can you feed? When are you feeding? How can I be of aid and assistance? Even if I don't want to join right now, this is what I can do. I got shoes I can donate Coach, I can donate. I can sew. I have a car. Every song I'm free. If you provide the gas, I'll take people to the grocery store. How are you getting the community involved in their own self-determination? Or are we just out there still goddamn protesting? And there's nothing wrong with the protest. Don't get me wrong. I'm involved in a protest down here in the town. Like I was speaking earlier of the police officer that just beat the woman. We're involved in the protest now. So protest brings awareness to the issues. But at the same time, we're out there down here in Atlanta trying to get the community involved in their own cleanup, trying to develop the relationship between the business owners and the community, letting the community know it is your dollars that funds this business owner. You must know the power of your dollar. What you do and don't have to take. You withholding your dollar can control, can make or break this business. You see, participating in your own self-work, even if you have to go a little extra, or if we have to go to gorilla stores. What's a gorilla store? Candy Lady. When I was coming up, we had Candy Lady. Plate Lady. Oh, the black community is beautiful, baby. Everything we need is contained. We have done the ladies to the the mother there sell plates, and the lady sell candy to candy lady. Even for those of the brothers and sisters that may have devices, she got the loose cigarettes and the black and miles and the wraps and all the other good stuff. Let's talk real, man. I'm not gonna sit here and BS you, brothers and sisters. Not when we're talking about our freedom and our liberation and empowerment. I'm gonna keep it real. So until we inspire and motivate to take back control of our community. 
to take control of our destiny and do for self, we will always be at the whim of other people. And this is how they will always have us with the class struggles. This is how they will always have one up on us. And we begin to take on, like I said, this neo-colonialist mentality, even in our progressive revolutionary parties, where we begin to become like the Red Cross. And we think that we're supposed to do everything for the people. And the people not do for themselves. Isn't that the mission? Isn't that the mission? Isn't that what we're about? Self-determination, race pride, self-sufficiency, race first. Isn't that what I just quoted from the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey? Up, you mighty nation, you can accomplish what you will, not what a few of you have chosen to do, not what this party can do, with it, but what you as a collective whole can do, and that the parties are only there, we should only serve as inspiration and motivation and reminders of that Africanness that lies in us, that is innate in every African man, woman, and child here in America that has been lying dormant, that has been beat unconscious. We're here to resuscitate it, to revive it, to motivate it, to put cables and charge it up. At the very least, begin to have it to begin to think for itself along the lines of doing for self. Not to enable it. Not to enable it. Not to just have it be something else that is to be another organization that is dependent on. That is dependent on, that it's indebted to. That it needs you to survive. But it should be the other way around. We need the people to survive. The formations and the parties need the masses to survive. If it isn't that way, then we have misconstrued our priorities, brothers and sisters, honestly. If the masses need us to survive, we misconstrued our priorities. Because once they eliminate us, then that means the movement, the inspiration dies with us. Like they said, a panther is born every minute in the ghetto, which the party and the formations and these revolutionary movements understand that it is the masses of the people, that all power to the people, that the power lies within the people. You would never destroy the desire and the yearning for liberation. I don't care what they call themselves. They call themselves the Black Buzzard Party. That desire for liberation, you will never be able to destroy that, to quell it. And they understand this. So what do they do? They bombard us, they deprive us, and then give us a little something to keep the masses quiet. Deprive you of complete and total participation in that system, which is cool, which, I mean, waste up you know there's no such thing but they dangle a little something have you chasing that 
and they give you enough to survive on. Government aids, the stamps, Section 8, welfare, other things like that. And they put us in a condition that those things, in a lot of instances, are needed. I'm not knocking those things now when they're needed. But when they become a part of your life, when you've incorporated these things, when we've incorporated aid from the government as a part of our life, when we calculate food stamps into our budget, when we sit around and say, my stamps are coming, and we've calculated that into our budget, we must reevaluate our position. That's when you become dependent on your oppressor. When you sit around and wait for your oppressor or you're looking at bills and how you're going to pay a bill and you've audited and calculated the fact that you're waiting on an oppressor to hand you something, you need to reevaluate your position. Go back to the drawing board. Let the egos go. Start from square one. But the first square one is what? Being honest with yourself. This is what many of us are afraid to do. We're afraid to be completely and totally honest with ourselves. Yet we say we want liberation for the African people. Do our lifestyles reflect that? Do our spending habits reflect that? Do our spending habits and our lifestyles reflect that we understand we are part of an oppressive, oppressed nationality, an oppressed race, a race that is being targeted, not just part-time, but full-time? Have we dedicated ourselves, like Dr. Muhammad said in his writings, have we dedicated ourselves to the, to the liberation and salvation of African people? Has everything else become secondary? That's the question. That's the question. And if not then we must begin to ask ourselves, how serious are we about our liberation? How serious are we about our liberation? How serious are we about our race? That's the only way, that's where, that's when, that is the first step. Understanding my race and understanding how my race is looked at. For those of us that are pathers in this with our 10-point platform and program, say I believe it's number five, that we want an education that teaches, teaches the true nature of this decadent society and teaches the position, the role of the black man or the African man and woman in this decadent society. 10-point platform program, I believe, number five. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we demand? Because we understand once we have that true nature, once we understand the nature of this decadent society, understand how this society looks at the African man and woman, we'll begin to know how to maneuver. We won't be disillusioned. We won't fool ourselves. We won't bite into this dream of uh, uh, being all-inclusive, all-included in a society that was never meant, shaped, fashioned, nor ever had the intentions to include you or to be equal with you in any way, shape, form, or fashion, then your feelings don't get hurt. 
See, your feelings get hurt now when you find out you're not included. Look at the police officer in Minnesota. The Somalian came over and joined the police force. He's about to find out he's a black Muslim in a minute. Killed that white woman. You begin to, so time and time again, we look at, we, 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 we stated time and time again, but the illusion is so thorough and so deep. Though we see it time and time again, people still get caught up into it. We saw it with OJ. We see it with Michael. We saw it with Mike Vick. You see these Negroes trying to appease their puppeteers, their puppet masters, and get screwed in the end every time and despite themselves, despite what they see happen around them or what has directly affected them, they still do a jig for a people that will never fully accept them into their society. Only aspects and attributes of what they can do, and they'll tell you it's not a race thing. Shit, me. You can save that bullshit for somebody else. I know it's race. And it's okay. And it's okay. It's absolutely okay to know it's race, to call it race, to call a spade a spade. You're not going to get me with that. Think that I'm going to feel bad because I'm telling you it's a race issue and that I have race pride. And, yeah, I choose mine first. Call it what you want. I'm not going to sit there and go through, well, the black man can't be racist because we don't control. I don't care. If I controlled it and you call me racist, that's what it would be. And I'm not going to cry about it if you choose your white counterpart over me. It's only natural. Oh, man, you choose white, you racist. You throw that white boy over me. It's only natural. He's supposed to. I wonder what's wrong with the cracker if he didn't choose the white boy over your black ass. I would wonder what's wrong with him. But what it should do is motivate and fuel us to start doing for self. To realize that you can't rely on anybody but yourself. But no, we would still murder, maim, rob, torture, kidnap, deprive, be savage towards our own. Still despising ourselves. Still hoping what we saw out of them was a, 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 a fluke, a freak of nature. One in a million, white boy. That you know, all of them. We're quick to say all white people ain't like that. All white people ain't like that. That's what you said. You can't put all white people in that category, younger. But let a brother do something to you. Say niggas, niggas ain't this. That's why I don't shop with niggas. That's why I don't do this with niggas. That's why niggas can't get along. You generalize. Somebody told me generalize means you general. You they're generalized. You generalize. You begin to lump all of us in a category. But you have been so conditioned by your oppressor that you can't see their true nature. And when you see their true nature, the conditioning kicks in the phase two. You begin to feel guilty for having love of your race and disdaining or despising the actions of other races towards you. They'll have you thinking it's racist to despise being profiled and beaten by white officers. You get all police ain't bad. You can't say that. All police said, I can show me a good one. They have you 
despite that, have you going against your very nature? You will stand there with your hands up, taking punches to the face, tasers, being brutalized, being manhandled, maligned, and everything else. And you still hollering, I'm not resisting. I'm not resisting. Kudos to those brothers and sisters that when they got shoved, shoved back. I mean, it's only natural. It means you're in your natural state. First law of anything is the law of self-preservation. It's a reflex. But the black man and woman has been conditioned to take the brutalization of their oppressor. Now, you've heard me say this before. Am I saying go out and commit some type of... No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we must be true to self and true to our nature and protect ourselves when being brutalized, defending our women and children. It's a race thing. It is a race thing. Class is just an aspect of the race issue. Don't sit here and tell me, like I said, to my white liberal brothers and sisters, we appreciate your services. Your support in in fighting and fending off uh, injustices and being pro uh, uh, pro justice and anti oppression, we appreciate that. But don't come to me hollering about it's a damn class issue. We're not buying it. I see I have listeners on the line. Y'all gonna let me listen? If y'all don't want me to rap the whole thing, I can't. But let me always give out, do what I do, give out the call sign. It's your chairman, it's your boy, Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, Independence Black Talk Radio, your radio programming. Press 1, we'll recognize you. Come in, chime in, share with us thoughts, comments, opinions. Like I said, sometimes I may say some things that you don't naturally agree with. You're more than free to disagree. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Why you feel the way that you feel. I know why I feel the way that I feel, and I'm adamant about it. I'm adamant about it. I know that at the end of the day, it's only us. That's it. At the end of the day, it's only us. We can't rely on, we can't depend on anyone but us. Excuse me. So, there it is. I'm sorry, I'm trying to multitask. There it is. At the end of the day, we can only depend on us. We're the only ones that can get this thing together. That has been my theme. That will constantly be my theme. Self-determination. Brother Yanger, what what does revolution mean to you? Self-determination. Self-determination. The right to evolve naturally without the willful and intentional hindrance and obstruction of any outside influences or forces. Something that even this European realized, I think that he says in his Bill of Rights, that every person has an inalienable right, a God given right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
even he recognizes that. He recognizes that for himself, but this is what he says. He says every human being has that right, so therefore he must not recognize you and I as human beings because our rights to that have been denied and will constantly be denied of under his leadership and his rule until we begin to shake the shackles of oppression off of us. And we have to do that by any means necessary. By any means necessary. If we don't do it, no one will do it for us. And what does that mean? This is where the unity comes in. This is where the unity comes in of like, you know, speaking on that, let's good that's a good segue. Let's go into that because I've been I've had the greatest day today on Facebook. It's just been absolutely amazing. I had someone using our pictures collecting funds. And definitely big recognition to my members, man, out here. Um, my minister out in California. We have a little technical difficulty, so bear with us just for a moment. That's how. All I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did. Pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151. One sip will make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence. Who I'm gonna body this hood politics, acknowledging. Leave bodies chopped up in garbage. Seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us. Police watch us, roll up and try knocking us. One knee. I duck, could it be my time is up with my love? I got up, the cops shot again. Bust stop glass burst, a fiend drops a Heineken. Ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out, I shoot back. Fuck getting hit, this is my hood, I'm a rat. To the death of it, to everybody, come on. Little niggas is grown, look rats. Don't abortion your wound, we need more warriors soon. Shit from the stars, sun and the moon. And it's like a police chase, the street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience, leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die, Nothing is fair, niggas roll up, shooting from wheelchairs, my heart is racing. Take 
taste and revenge in the air. I let this shit slide for too many years. Too many times now I'm strapped with a couple of max. Too many nines. If y'all niggas really with me, get busy, load up the semis. Do more than just hold it, explode the clip until you empty. There's nothing in our way. They bust, we bust, they rust, we bust. Let's fly and feel it. I feel it in my gut that we take these bitches to war. Lie them down, cause we stronger now. My nigga, the time is now. Black power to black people. I appreciate everyone that held on to the line. Man, we must really be doing our thing. We must really be doing our thing. So I feel good about that. That's 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 wonderful. Um, but like we were saying, and again, I apologize for te- technical difficulties. But every week, it's re it really just is reaffirming the point that I made about self determination and about unity. This helps goes into that segue. If we have brothers and sisters out there that are good with this media, if we have radio stations, I remember back in the day people used to set up their own little bands and have radio stations in their basements. If we know people that do that, yo, get with me. Despite formation, we're willing to work across the line. Let's get a uh, black radio, you know, even if we got to be on AM.1, let's do our own thing. But that goes into what I was talking about earlier about the discussion, the dialogue, the discourse that uh, members of, of, of the party had with these individuals or with this particular individual. And what kept coming up, the reoccurring theme was, well, you know, if the Panthers were this, it wouldn't be so many formations and all of these formations. And, hey, I applaud that. I applaud that. 
Because let's be realistic about it. First of all, as an African people, we were never monolithic people. Africa is not a country, it's a continent. We have always been a diverse people. And in that diversity has always lied conflict. There's always been conflicts. So this is not a new phenomenon for African people. Let's stop acting like it's something new. No, you don't get along, Panther this, Panther that. It's nothing new. And also, but no one ever talks about the allies and the coalitions that were built to fight a common oppressor in our, in our nature, in our history, in our, the African people. So you have those Panther formations, and I'm speaking from what I know from this formation right here that works with other progressive Panther formations, and so much so that it's just with a party. We're the party. We use one another interchangeably like we're one party. I call ministers, they call me, they call chief, chief calls the one party. So there is can be goodness in diversity. It allows everyone at times it allows everyone to perform their specific skill set. I don't have a problem. What we have to do, though, is to embrace that diversity and learn to work together. You have some formations that are strictly military-based. They're wonderful military. This is what they do. They train. They're good at it. That should be embraced. We need a defense mechanism. We need a defense wing. We need to be defended. Our people need to be trained. And those people that are partial to that, that's what they love to do. They're military-minded all the time. Then we should draw those people in. And if my party hasn't developed that to that degree yet, and I know people who have developed that degree, if even if they don't want to join that party, they should cross-train. They say, hey, you know what? I love the way y'all training with defense, but I just like the way that Yang will run things. You know what I'm saying? I, I kind of vibe with his leadership, so I'm going to rock with his chairmanship. But can we train with you guys? So there's nothing wrong with the various formations. Every, their formations, we have various formations for a reason. It's not just based on some falling out or some nigger mess or some argument. It's because... These different formations have unique characteristics and qualities that are particular to them, and they excel at those things. The People's Black Panther Party for self-determination, we're just that. We're for self-determination, very administrative, organized. We believe in administration. We believe in developing the leadership qualities and characteristics of the thing. We believe in political activism, revolutionary politics. This is our what we're going hard at. We got Panthers um, formations that are very good at, at community activism, very good putting programs together. And I'm not just talking about projects, but I'm talking about programs, programs that not only address specific needs and issues, but work towards the development. I love working with those formations to get ideas, even having their members come to where we have chapters set up and showing us how to get some of those programs functioning and up and running for our particular cities. It's okay to have different formations. The problem is if we have different formations and we're not working for the same common good. 
See, I don't believe in allowing our enemy, our oppressor, to outdo us in anything. And he does it. He has a Congress. He has a Congress. He has a two-party system. He has the Democrats and the Republicans. You say, well, what's the difference? There's not a big difference. Why? Because they're still working for the advancement, the empowerment, the establishment, the preservation of the American way. And when those two parties wasn't sufficient enough, they became an independent party. And when that wasn't sufficient enough, they had a Green Party. And when that wasn't sufficient enough, they had a Tea Party. Shit, they do it. All with the end goal, all with the same objective and goal, and that is the preservation, advancement of the American way. So it's okay for us to have different formations. We must stop allowing these naysayers, these people who would like to cause division, to cause animosity and hatred for us because somebody's in a four. They make it like it's a bad word. It's not a bad word. It just means, yo, I can rock with Brother Abubalah a little better than I can rock with Brother Ricky. Love Brother Ricky. I just relate to Brother Abubalah. And we getting it done like this. And when it's time to get something to grow, we cross-train, we work, we get down with them. I got a whole other formation on the West Coast that's my counterpart, and we're that counterpart on the East Coast. This is because the end game is the same. And what is that end game? The advancement, liberation, and empowerment, freedom, absolute, complete freedom of African people in here. In America and throughout the diaspora. That's it. That's it. I'm not judgmental in their methodologies. I'm not judgmental in um, uh, their ideology. If I don't agree with that particular ideology, I don't build on that particular thing that I don't agree with. I have enough for my oppressor to go out and bash in the city and try to bash my brother or my sister to submitting. You're thinking like I think. We must get out of this cult-like mentality. We want everybody to be on the same page, to think the same, to look the same, to act the same. Where, where would you ever find that in the African people? African people done that. We would never have had the great civilizations that we had, Timbuktu, Songhai, and so many other great civilizations throughout the African history. If all the people were one people. We are a celebration of diversity. That's the beauty of being from this African race. Not only in color and, complex, um, color and complexion, but also in thought process, in language, in art, in all things. The brothers from New Orleans say that would make the gumbo good. That's what makes it delicious. The diversity. But we won't diversify with one another and go sit in a room full of other people and be just as tickled. Oh, I've seen you. I've seen you. I've seen you change the way you talk. Yes, uh, yes. Absolutely so. And get in a room with us and all about just why we can't work together. Too many differences. Absolutely. That's the very reason we can work together. Because the attack on the African here in America is not a 
single attack addressing one thing is not just police brutality. It's poor education. It's not just poor education. It's poor health. It's not just poor health. It's poor living conditions. It's everything. We need all our freedom fighters. We need everybody fighting. We don't have the luxury to be judgmental. We don't have the luxury to say what struggle is better than the other struggle. We don't have that luxury. Let me go to our phone lines. Area code 706-7824. Your mic is open. Hey, uh, what's going on? Nephew, what's happening in the belly of the beast, brother? Give us a report. Hey, brother, you, hey, I'm telling you, man, hey, you knocking them down today. I ain't lying, man. I got two brothers with me. You know what I'm saying? I got two brothers with me. Yes, sir. You know, I talk about it. You, you, you know, you know, I carry it on my shoulders. You know, I carry the movement on my yes, shoulders. Yes, no doubt. Okay, so, you know, well, you know, you, you know, you've been doing that thing since birth. You know what I'm saying? You know, I don't expect anything less, nephew. Yeah, you know, uh, I want, I want to. You know, a big thing you said today was being dependent on the oppressor. You yes, know what sir. I'm saying? And and if you choosing to live like that in the free world, you know what I'm saying? Cause, see, that's how we live in that's how we living behind the wall, in the belly of the beast. We waiting on them for tissue. We waiting on them for soap. You see what I'm saying? We don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Out there where you living free, you got to make better decisions. You got to be conscious enough to know you got a decision to be independent. That's right. You got a decision. That's right. To decide where you want to live, who you want to interact with. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So that you know that's a, that's a that's a huge that that is huge being dependent on the oppressor. The oppressor has all the power in that case. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times it's a choice. It's an unconscious decision, mm-hmm. but it's a choice. Right on. You know what I'm saying? That's right. And uh, and you know, brothers was actually mad at me because I, I passed in last night and I didn't notify nobody because you know all I talk about, you know, is the people and the power. You know what I'm saying? And it comes time for me to pull mm-hmm. up, and I, and I had to run by myself. <laughs> you know, but but you know, but but you know, I'm I'm spreading the wealth. You know what I'm saying? I'm spreading the wealth. Y'all brothers want to say something? You know, I'm coming on what you heard. It's up to you, brother. You know what I'm saying? They're just listening, man. We're here. We're supporting, man. We're here. On, I love you. Keep up the good work, man. Power power to the people. Definitely. Love you. All powers to the people, nephew. Love you too, man. Keep your head up, man. Can't wait till you get home. Definitely for the comrades in there listening, man. We appreciate y'all brothers taking the time out to listen. I know how it is, especially listening to how you got to listen. You understand? Already on some revolutionary type shit. On the way, you have to sit around and listen, do what you have to do. Y'all keep your head up. Keep fighting the system, man, and we'll see y'all brothers when y'all get home. Yes, sir. Yes, right. sir. Right. All right. All so, right, love. All right, love, nephew. So what we... Begin to understand is like my nephew was saying that that dependency on the oppressor. And when you become dependent on the oppressor, one of the ways you become dependent on your oppressor is you begin to think like your oppressor. Your oppressor has controlled your mind. And when your oppressor controls your mind and he knows how you think, 
That's what enables him or her, the oppressive system, to be able to get into set the traps because they condition your thinking. They know what you're going to do. They know if they put A and B in front of you, what the C naturally will be. Because they've conditioned you to equate A and B to that particular C. And this is how we look. And so to go back to the formation thing, this is how they have us thinking along the lines of our formations. This is how they have us thinking along the lines of our formations. But the diversity is actually a good thing. We can learn from one another. Once we get past the despising one another and start to understand that it is imperative to our survival, that it is not a luxury, it's not a fad or a pastime or just something cool to do being black or being African, but that the dependence on one another is imperative to our survival, then we'll begin to see the advancements. But not until then. So this is what we begin to tell the brother. I was trying to tell the brother when he was coming through with all the various formations and y'all not even unified on that. That doesn't mean we're not unified. That means that each one of us in these particular formations have viewed the problem and have assessed the problem from a different angle and have decided to tackle it from that perspective or from that way. Doesn't mean we're not unified. It means we're covering all this. It's like, your boy got your back. We ain't all looking in the same direction, but we all covering a direction. So everybody's back is got. And this is how you begin to advance. This is how you begin to make headway. You begin to move further. It's called the art of allowance. We must respect everybody's perspective or respective position. And it takes time. We have to grow into that. Because all our lives, we have been taught how to see ourselves in a class system. How to class, and when I say class system, I mean how to classify ourselves. All our life, we've been given labels. Every label is sub-African. We've been Muslim. We've been Christian. We've been Jehovah Witness. What are you, brother? I'm a Muslim. I'm a Christian. I'm a Jehovah Witness. What are you, brother? I'm a blood. Blood. I'm a crip, cuz. I'm disciple folk. I'm lower peoples. We've always had a classification we put in, but never once have we been taught that I'm African. What are you? I'm African. What are you? I'm African. We can't do nothing but get something done. Despite what tribe we're from. And we're some of the only people that do that. I always use the example of our Latin brothers and sisters. Puerto Ricans and Mexicans don't particularly get along. Put a Puerto Rican and a Mexican in a room full of you Negroes. They'll be the best of friends. They'll start speaking Spanish so your black ass don't even know what they're talking about. They'll speak a whole other language on you. The Latino people will begin to come together under the umbrella of being Latin, being a Spanish-speaking people. And they understand the necessity of that so much that Spanish is their conquered language. The conquistadors and the Spaniards taught them that. Our Puerto Rican brothers and our brothers and sisters from the Dominican Republic learned that from the slave trade when Spain had them in slavery. The Mexicans learned it from Cortez and the conquistadors when they came and conquered Azteca or Mexico. 
and they've taken that oppressor's language and have made that a unifying factor in who they are as a people. Don't tell me it can't be done. And you don't find that difference in them when it comes to their survival. And this European man, when he's under attack, when he's in war, he'll send the Protestant and the Catholic and the Baptist, the Episcopalian and everybody to fight a common enemy. Oh, but not you and I. We don't understand the importance of race unity, not you and I. Right, a Muslim doesn't want to sit with the Christian. In fact, he wants to bash the Christian. He wants to know how you can serve Jesus. How are you a Christian, brother? How are you worship that way? And your name, and, and, and your name, Muhammad. <laughs> no disrespect to my Muslim brothers. <laughs> Just keep me 21. You know, I don't even care if it's an African name. Or your name is Abubalaba. You don't even know if that's the tribe or the place you came from. Right now, we're not in a position to have anything that we will hold supreme or superior over our other African brothers and sisters in America when it's all a fight for survival at this particular moment. It's all good. You can call yourself what you want to call yourself. I am king, shemetic, tetetic, papetic. Then when you go into work, clock in, your name John Smith, though. What that cracker call you You can be all what you want to be with me Call you king, emperor, lord, god Of the universe But when that white boy call you To work he call you John Smith See everybody wants to escape the reality That they live in Because facing the reality That you live in in order to change It takes real action And real action means real work And real work means real consequences And that's what we don't want to face it's easier to romanticize. It's easier to fantasize. To get up and spit the rhetoric. And do all of those things. But it's a real world out there, brothers and sisters. And that's what we're... That's, those are the very things that we're addressing when we talk about race. And once we understand race... Then we'll start to understand what class and classification means. Then they won't be so quick or able to classify you so easily. Because you understand your race. You understand what they have in store for you and your race. Then you won't classify yourself. You'll be fighting against the classification of oppressive people. You won't let the oppressor classify you because you know his classification is a classification of subjugation. He wants to belittle you. He wants to lower you down. He wants to take away your self-esteem. He wants to take away your sense of dignity, your sense of pride in being an African person or a person of African descent, so much so that you will claim, I, even to the extent of you, say, I got Indian in my blood. I got Indian in me. You ain't never seen Tonto run around and say, I got a little nigga in me. We're the only people that claim everything but who we are. It's time to wake up, brothers and sisters. Race first. Race first. That's the only way we're going to survive anything, is to put our race first. 
It's your brother, Chairman Yang and Krum of People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, Independent Black Talk Radio. We're coming down in our last minutes. If you want to hit one, we just heard from my nephew in the belly of the beast. Spending our big shout-out to the brothers there. Definitely holding it down, man. You know, our hearts go out because it's modern-day slavery, man. It's modern-day slavery. And it's dead to break our young men. But what I love about it is that our young men are turning it into institutions of learning, institutions of development. They're getting their physical on. They're getting their mental on. That's a place it's become a breeding ground and a breeding camp for warriors now. So, like, do the young men like my, my nephew and the young brothers that are listening in with them. And we hope that that message goes on and becomes contagious and starts to infect the other brothers in there with them. And they begin to make that change because they come back out. See, that's why I say, man, that we really have to get in and we have to invest in, in, in those systems and teaching the brothers and sisters in those systems because they come back to our communities. That's what I have a problem with. I have a problem with those brothers coming home, being on parole, having to pay the paroles, the parole go, the money that they pay the parole goes to fix parts up and other stuff in other communities that wasn't victimized. You know, there's no no disrespect. Love my nephew to death. He know he was shit. He know he didn't play no games. So we have to, these things have to come back to fix the communities that were affected directly. You know, I, you know, he was the weight dude. I ain't going to put you out there like that, nephew, but she was the weight dude. So a lot of the communities were affected. You know, a lot of people in our community were affected. So it goes back to fixing our communities. And this is what we have to be about, the rebuilding, the uplifting of our people, of our communities. So with that, my, my brothers and sisters, I leave you. I'm going to go off. We got our seven minutes. We're going to take it off. With my man Nas, but I definitely appreciate all the people that listen in, the people that participate in that constant listening and support this program. And leave you in the in the words of the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey, who says, Up you mighty nation, you can accomplish what you will. You can accomplish what you will. It's that simple. The only thing holding us back from advancement, from achievement, from the ultimate victory of liberation and salvation of a black nation is ourselves. Is ourselves. We don't have to believe the lies told about us. Not one iota, not one quarter of it. We are a great and mighty people, and the time is now. Under the current regime, under the current administration that we're under, this Trump administration, the laws that are starting to be enacted and put in place to incarcerate and murder as many of us as they can. Now is the time for us to start to really look at and practice self-determination by any and all means necessary. I'm your host. I thank you for listening in. I'm your host, Chevy Yang, and Kuma People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. I leave you as I greeted you with all powers to an oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power to black people.
yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page, only if I had one gun, one girl and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did, pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip, writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gon' body, this hood politics acknowledge it, leave bodies chopped up in garbage, seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us, police watch us, roll up and try knocking us, one knee I duck, could it be my time is up, with my luck I got up, the cops shot again, bus stop glass burst, a fiend drops his Heineken, ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in, blacking out, I shoot back, fuck getting hit, this is my hood, I'm a rat, to the death of it, to everybody come on, little niggas is grown, hood rats, don't abortion your wound, we need more warriors soon, shit from the stars, sun and the moon, and it's like a police chase, the street sweepers and coppers, sick of kids with no conscience, leaving victims with doctors, if you really think you're ready to Cause we stronger now, my nigga, the time is now. All I need is one mic. 